Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You good? That, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, we're going to talk about this actually in a little bit, how easily it can happen to any of us with, with really any, anything, but that always amazes me. When you read through the Bible and you see the Spirit of God, the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and we always want to make formulas of, out of things, and I think God loves to just never do things in a way that we can make a formula out of, because He's after our hearts. He doesn't want to be a formula to be figured out. He's a Father to be loved by. He's not interested in us having a neat formula that we can stamp everybody with. And so you, you read about like even the Holy Spirit coming upon people in the book of Acts. You know, there's people that... They got born again, and, or they got, they got baptized, and, uh, and then the Spirit of God fell upon them. There were people who the Spirit of God fell upon, and then they were baptized. After the Spirit of God came upon them, they were baptized in water. Um, and then there was people who were walking around baptized in water, had no idea there was a Holy Spirit, that were baptized in the Holy Spirit afterwards. And, you know, it'd be nice if there was a formula that we could say, well, this is how it happens. It's A, B, C, D, but the kingdom of God's not really A, B, C, D all the time. It's about actually just seeking after his heart and saying, God, I just want all of you. You know, he talked about that. He said, if you, know, if, if you, if you being uh, evil know how to give good presents to your kids, how much more your heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you just ask. And it's a continual thing, you guys. It's not this one time. The gospel's not like I was talking about earlier when we opened up. Like, it's not this one time thing that you experience once and then something you know and you kind of put it on a shelf. And it's the gospel's alive. It's an everyday thing where every day his mercies are new, where every day we wake up and get to become more like the one who died for us. That we're being constantly transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. He's reproducing himself inside of us. That's what he wants to do. There's two kingdoms on this earth there's the kingdom of heaven, there's the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the enemy, and both of them are looking for people to reproduce themselves inside of. They want to reproduce themselves inside of you. And it's the one that you choose that you actually eat the fruit of. That seed goes inside of you and begins to reproduce because every seed reproduces after its own kind. It's why the enemy was so after getting Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of sin so that sin would reproduce itself inside of them. And then Jesus comes and he says, listen, I'm here to undo everything that was done. He came to seek and save that which was lost, not those who were lost. He came to redeem humanity, back to relationship with the Father and restore things and bring back into order what was brought into chaos by the sin of Adam and Eve. And he comes and he he says that, that he is the first fruits of God. And then it talks about him being hung on a tree. So think about this, right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. And there's this, there's this fruit that hangs on a tree that they're forbidden to eat from. And the enemy comes to him. He says, has God really said... You can't eat any of the fruit of the, of the garden? He says, uh, he says, no, we can eat any. Uh, we, just, we just can't eat from that one over there. We can't even touch it. And you know the whole story. But why was he so intent on getting them to take a bite of that fruit? It's because he wanted them to take a bite from sin so that sin would then get inside of them and they begin to reproduce. And then it would be passed down from generation to generation to generation because every seed reproduces after its own kind. So then think about this. Here comes Jesus in the redemption of all things. And he hangs on a tree. And he says at one point, you have to actually eat of me and drink of me. And he says that Jesus was the first fruit of God. So what is he? He's the fruit that once eaten of begins to reproduce himself once again inside of man. Only this time it's unto righteousness. Whereas the first time was unto sin and unto being lost. 
and unreconciled from the Father, Jesus comes and says, listen, they'll hang me on a tree, and I'm the first fruit of God, and if you'll eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, I'll reproduce myself inside of you, and you'll become something that you were always meant to be. That's the gospel. It's about him reproducing himself inside of you. It's not about an act. It's not about a one day when you die kind of thing. It's about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus so that God can reproduce himself inside of you. It's about a new bloodline. Listen, it doesn't matter what family you were born into. If you were born into an amazing family, you were born into the worst family on earth. None of that matters when it comes to who you are, because who you are is defined by who your father is, your real father. That's why Jesus was talking to people, and he said, listen, don't call an earthly man your father. For you've one who is your father, and he's in heaven. You might have had an amazing father. You might have had a horrible father. None of that defines you. You're defined by the one who said he is your father, and he's in heaven. It's about becoming a new creation, born again. It's a new bloodline. You become a new creation. It's not a fixed-up version of who you are that somehow is acceptable and one day will maybe make it into heaven, barely. It's about becoming a new creation. Everything old has, it says, the old has passed. Behold, all things are made new. All things are made new. You're born again. Uh, it says, if any man be in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. That means something that never existed now exists when you become born again. The old you died and the new you that stands there before him is born again into Christ Jesus. Where once you were born into the first Adam and born into sin, you're born again a new creation into the, the second and the final Adam who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. It said he became sin that knew no sin, that you, that me, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's, 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 that's the good news. That's the gospel. It's not an act. He didn't come and just act sinful so that we could act holy. He became sin so that we could become righteous. It says that he is able to present you before the Father, holy, blameless, upright, and beyond reproach. You couldn't present yourself before the Father that way. That's why it takes faith to believe that he can. That's why it's his word that matters and not your feelings. If you live by feelings, you will only be doing as good as you feel that you've done the last day. That's how the Pharisees lived. That's why they were constantly condemning people because they constantly lived with condemnation themselves. That's why they could drag a lady caught in adultery, throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, this woman is, and label her by her sin. And what are they ready to do? They're ready to cast stones and condemn her and kill her. Jesus, the righteous one, shows us the difference between condemnation and conviction because Jesus kneels before her, doesn't label her by her sin, sees her for her true value, her true worth, and then looks at her and says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What's he saying? There's a better way to live. You're not who you were. You're not the results of your actions. I'm not going to call you an adulteress. You realize that that little subtitle in your Bible, it says the adulterous woman wasn't put there by the disciples. Why? Because that story is not about an adulterous woman. It's about a loving Savior who actually looked at a woman and saw her for more than her actions and more than her sin and believed that there was a better way that she could live. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the gospel. That's what you're born again into. That's what this life is about. It's not about seeing how close we can live to that line of sin and actually call ourselves a Christian. It's how much can I become like him? How much can I know him? Every single day I have an opportunity for him to reproduce himself inside of me. It's the fruit that I choose to eat of that determines the fruit of my life and what's reproducing inside of me. You get to choose that. Nobody can choose it for you. You choose every single day what you wake up and what you open your mouth and what you eat. That's why when, when, when John goes to heaven, they hand him a scroll. And he says, eat the scroll. What's he saying? He's saying, get this word inside of you so that it can reproduce itself. Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. And if you've opened your mouth and you've eaten of Jesus and you've drank of him, which is what we do when we take communion, it's a symbolic thing that symbolizes what happened when we became born again, then that means the Christ, the living one, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, is reproducing himself inside of you. And the only thing that can stop that from happening every single day is what 
what you choose to put your eyes on, who you choose to give your mouth and your mind to, and what you choose to eat of. You can tell, he said, you'll know my people by their fruit. If he's reproducing himself inside of you, it's obvious. If he's not, stop eating what you've been eating. Go find him and start eating of him again. I'm serious. Listen, it's not like this all or nothing, once and done thing. Like, well, you know, I, I did this in my life. No, it's a continual everyday thing. There's no coast in the kingdom. Yesterday's victory positions you for what God has for you today, but it doesn't guarantee it. Yesterday's obedience positions you to be obedient again today, to say yes today. Your yes yesterday positions you to say yes today. But I promise you it doesn't guarantee it. It takes an every single day continual yes to the gospel of saying that every day, today. It's why his mercies are new every day. Because he's not holding yesterday against you. But on the same hand, you can't coast on what happened yesterday. You have to actually step into today and say yes every single day to the gospel of Jesus. And daily, daily deny yourself. Listen, daily deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. That means every single day, life's not about me. Not just yesterday when I was feeling holy and spiritual. Don't live by your feelings. Don't, because then you're only doing as good as you feel like you're doing. We, we say this stuff all the time. We, 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 we cast this stuff out there casually. Well, you know, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? You know, if you feel far from God, thank God that your feelings aren't true and that he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. Because that's truth. That's why we need to know truth so we're not living. Feelings are great additions to the Christian life, but they are horrible masters. They are an amazing addition when there's sanctified and redeemed feelings that Jesus, if the feeling you're feeling is something that he died on a cross for you to feel, then it's worth giving your life to. But if it's not, reject it and grab a hold of the truth that speaks the opposite. Think about it. We just, we say these things so casually, you know? How many of you have heard that saying? If you feel far from God, guess who moved? If you, if he lives in you, when you move, he moves. How f- David said it. Listen, David lived in the old covenant. We have a new and better covenant. You understand, if you read through the Bible and any promise or any attribute of God that you see in the old covenant, you have something better in the new. And so if David in the old covenant said, where could I go that I could escape your presence? If I went to the depths of Sheol, there you'd find me. If I made my bed in the highest mountain, there your spirit would find me. Where could I go? David understood. There's nowhere that I can go and get away from your spirit. And the spirit of God only rested upon David because he wasn't born again, a temple of the Holy Holy Spirit filled with God. Now think about this. In the new covenant, he says, Paul's writing to to the church, and he says that God won't hold them blameless who destroy his temple. He says, for don't you know that his temple is holy, and that is what you are? Your Bible says this. Your Bible says that you are holy and that you are a temple filled with the Spirit of God. Not some literal like, like, or figurative thing that's like, well, you know, one day in the sweet by and by. No, no, he's talking to you today. And he says, don't you know that his temple is holy and that is what you are? You're holy. Why? Because the Holy One has come inside of you and made all things new. You're now fit to house the Spirit of God. He made you his temple, his dwelling place. No longer content to dwell in tents made by the hands of man. He came and took up residence inside of a vessel made by the hand of God. That's you and I. So when you move, he moves with you. That used to be the scariest thing in the world to know that he saw everything that happened. It's now the most comforting thing to know that there's nowhere I can go and escape his eyes. That was a terrifying thing when I thought that he was watching me to strike me every time I did something wrong. But when I understood that his eyes were upon me, not because he was looking for what was wrong, but because he loved me, that's a whole different story. That doesn't mean he doesn't see when I do wrong and he doesn't discipline me. He says he disciplines those he loves. If you've never been disciplined by God, that means he doesn't love you. That's impossible. So that means he's trying to discipline you. 
Listen, be real careful that we don't get caught up where anything that sounds corrective becomes the voice of the enemy and you're telling the devil to get behind you when it's the Holy Spirit trying to lead you in conviction. Let, let, let the Spirit of God convict us, but it's always to call us into who we are. It's never to condemn us for who we're not. You rise with the woman caught in adultery. He didn't say, I can't believe you did this. You adulterous woman, you did this and did this and did this and you didn't do that and how could you and everything and all that stuff. He never said any of that to her. He said, I don't condemn you. Now stop living that way and go live differently. Why? Because he's always interested in showing us who we were meant to be, not pointing out where we've missed it. His eyes are on you because he loves you, not because he's looking for what's wrong. It's because he sees what's right and what could be when you surrender your life, every area of your life, to the spirit of the living God. He's into transforming people. That's what he does. This fruit of transform, of, of, of tra- transform, the proof of transformation is fruit. The fruit of transformation is, is change, that you're actually being transformed. If your life's not being transformed in an area, it's because you haven't yielded and submitted to the voice of God, to the word of God in that area of your life. There's no way that you could submit yourself to the word of God in an area of your life and it not bring transformation because it transforms everything it touches. Think about it. He speaks into a blank canvas and transforms it into a brilliant sky full of sun, moon, and stars. His voice brings transformation everywhere it goes. That's why Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm giving life back into you. That life that was surrendered by Adam. Think about it. He breathed life into Adam. He breathes. The Spirit of God builds a man and breathes his life into him. And then man surrenders the life that was given to him to the enemy. And Jesus comes and takes it back. I, on, I, this, is, this is my belief, and you'll find out when you get to heaven that I'm right. But, <laughs> but I really believe this. I believe that when man died because the result of sin was that man physically died on this earth, which is even his mercy. Think about it. The fact that we can die is the mercy of God because if humanity couldn't die, we would live forever in a separated from God state that Adam and Eve brought about with sin. It's the mercy of God that we can actually die physically. Otherwise, Jesus can't come as a man and die physically in our place. He can't be the spotless lamb. He can't be killed without death. Even the fact that the human body can physically die is a gift from the Father because he didn't want us to live forever in an unredeemed state. Yeah. But I believe this. I believe that when Adam died and he breathed out his last breath, that God received it back. He sucks it back in, and he's holding it, and he's waiting for the moment that he would once again breathe that life into humanity. And this is what I believe. I could be wrong. I believe that when Jesus is laying in the tomb dead, that God breathes that same breath that he breathed into the first Adam, into the second Adam, and life once again returns to humanity, this time to never again be surrendered over to the enemy. And Jesus lives forever as a man at the right hand of the Father. I believe that. And I believe Jesus carried that breath with him, and that's why when he breathed on the, Holy, on the disciples, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What was he saying? Receive the life that you were built for and made for. Receive that back once again. Why? Because those who believe in him, though they sleep, they will never die. Physical body will die, but the real you, that breath of God that came back inside of you, it lives forever and it never dies, ever. That's why it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Might as well let this life here on earth, you might as well let the time that you die be here on earth so that you can be resurrected along with Christ, be buried into his death and raised again into newness of life with him. All right, that was free. Now we get to the message. Um, 
uh, we, we were talking, and we'll talk a little bit about some more of that stuff, but we were talking about um, the voices that we hear, or we're talking about hearing the voice of God. And I, before we, because uh, a logical part of if God speaks to us, then is that sometimes he speaks to us things for us, but sometimes for other people, like what Dylan did with Jason. It's just declaring the heart of the Father over him. It doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to get a different voice. Paul said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but above all that you can prophesy. Why would the Bible tell us to desire something that God doesn't want to give? And people will say, well, yeah, but it says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. Well, if the Bible has to be reconciled to itself, then possibly our earnest desiring is the reason that he wills to give gifts. Because if it's simply about just him giving as he wills, there's no reason for you to earnestly desire. He's going to give it as he desires, and there's nothing to do with you. So maybe those two verses don't exclude each other. They actually include each other, and they explain each other. Perhaps there's something about the will of God that's moved by the desire of humanity for what God wants to give. I'm just because there's a danger in taking a part of the Bible and living by that one part and making that the only part of the Bible we build our theology on rather than taking the whole of Scripture and making sure that it reconciles itself to itself. So there's not like a line in the Bible just because Paul wanted to make the letter. It's not like Paul was, was worried that someone else was going to write a longer letter. He wasn't like, oh, I better make this letter a little bit longer. What can I talk about? I know, I'll tell him to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That'll keep him busy for a while. It, it was No, it's in there because the Spirit of God was moving on the heart of Paul to write this to people for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. And if there's a purpose behind it, and he said earnestly desire, he said be, that word is like be jealous for, desire with the highest ability you have, like the way a man would desire his wife. He's talking about that kind of desire for spiritual gifts. And he says, and above all that you could prophesy. We should probably at least think about wanting to prophesy. I mean, it's sort of biblical. And if we're going to do that, then that means we open ourselves up to the fact that God still speaks, which is a novel idea that Jesus brought up when he said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. So, so we know his voice and we hear his voice and he speaks to us through his word. He writes, he even talks about nature declaring the glory and the goodness of God. You can hear God speak by looking at the beauty of nature that he's created. You ever stood there on the edge of something just looking out? I've stood on the edge of the ocean getting ready to paddle out in the morning. When I used to live in Florida, I loved it. I'd go before work. I would go and paddle out into the ocean and surf early in the morning before work. And you would get there, and it would be dark, and sometimes it'd be cold, and you'd put your wetsuit on, and you'd think, oh, is it worth it, you know, and run through the freezing cold sand. It's either burning your feet or freezing them, you know, one or the other, and your feet are numb by the time you get to the edge of the water. And you're getting ready to paddle out, you know, and you hit the water, and you start paddling, and all of a sudden that first little peak of the sun comes up in the background, in the horizon. And then it gets higher and higher and higher. And even when I was at the time where I turned my back as far as I possibly could on God, I couldn't paddle towards the sun rising over the ocean without being taken back by the beauty that he created and being filled with just awe and wonder at the creation and the work of his hands. It talks about that. It says even the, the, that nature declares God. You can hear him speak all over the place. He speaks through his word. Oh, man, know his word. Because if you don't know his word, then how do you know it's him when he speaks in a way other than his word? You have to know his word. In fact, the more you desire to actually speak on God's behalf, the better you better know his word. Because it's a safeguard. It's a safety net. It's a way that we know that what we're saying is actually biblical because it lines up with the word of God. It'll never contradict it. It'll never go outside of it. The truth of the matter is, though, is if you believe that God actually cares about who you marry, then you have to believe that God speaks to you apart from his written word. You have to. Because I can't, you can't turn to the second book of Roy, chapter 4, and find Patty's name. Well, you can't, but I can find where he says, anything you ask in my name, it will be done. So if I'm seeking him and saying, God, show me the woman you have for me, I can trust that he actually will show me the one that he has for me. 
Come on, think about it. So anyway, so I want to talk today just about the, the different voices that we hear, because not every voice is God. And if we're not careful, we can either fall into one of two ditches. Either every voice is God or God never speaks. And that's kind of the two ditches that, that seems like people kind of get into, where it's like everything that I think has to be God. So I say, this is what God said, or this is what God showed me, or, or this is what I feel like God was saying, or, or God just doesn't speak at all because that was only for a certain time. And you ever notice that a lot of the good things in the Bible are for a time that was or a time that is to come, but very little of it can be for now if you're not careful. We, we live in the worst time period to be alive, according to some people, because anything good is either for a time that was or a time that is to come, but very little is for today. And I'm telling you, like, listen, that when Paul's writing that to the early church and saying that, he's saying that to them, but for eternity, he's saying that to the church that is here on the earth to earnestly desire these things. It wasn't a specific one-time instruction for them. He was talking about, listen, this is something that I want you to desire, and above all, I want you to desire this. And so if we, if we believe that God speaks, then we have to understand there's other voices that speak. And so I just want to talk a little bit about those, and um, we'll make it official by turning to Matthew chapter 16. We'll start in verse 13, but... Um, but the four voices, I kind of broke them into four, four things. You know, first would be like the world. That's, that's, that's everything that you're faced with on a daily basis. How many of you know that you don't get to choose the voices that speak into your life every single day, all day? You get up in the morning, you turn on your phone, you look at it, you, you go on Facebook or, or, or Instagram or whatever social media that you choose, and you, you get bombarded with voices, and you turn on the news, or you go in the car, or you go into a store, or you go to work, you go to school, you, you get in a, in a bus, wherever it is that you are, information is constantly blaring at us all day, every single day, and some of it is, is, is good, and some of it is evil, and some of it is means to be good, but really is evil, and, and, and it's just you're constantly being inundated with information, and you don't get to choose a lot of times who speaks into your life. That's why it's so important. I, I, I really want to stress this to the young people in here that are listening. You don't get to choose everybody that speaks into your life, so make sure the ones that you choose are worth having speak in your life. You don't get to choose everyone that speaks into your life, but you do get to choose some of the voices that you listen to and that you open yourself up to. Make sure that they're godly people. And a good way to know if they're godly people is look at the fruit of their life because Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. If you see something in their life that looks like the fruit of the Spirit, if you see Jesus when you look at them, if you see the attributes of God, if you see kindness and gentleness and love and self-control and meekness, and you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life, then, then that's probably a good idea that maybe this is someone that's worth listening to. If you see the, the fruit of, the, uh, of sin in their life, the, you, just, you see that, that, that it's like you, all you see is, is anger and malice and rage and all the different things in their life, probably not someone you want to open your life up to. Probably not someone worth listening to. You get, you get to choose very few of the voices. Make sure the ones that you choose are worth listening to. And, and I mean, listen, the, the enemy doesn't come to us, and, and that's another voice that speaks. Well, I'll talk about the world first. So, um, Jesus cautioned to be careful how we hear, um, because the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of different voices speaking. And so you have to actually be careful how you hear. You realize he talked more about being careful how you hear than how you speak? He did. Why? Because what you speak will usually be a product of what you've been listening to. Because what you hear goes into your heart if you're not careful, and then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you guard what comes in, you'll be a whole lot less worried about having to guard what goes out. I promise. And so, uh, so then, then there's so that's the world. Um, and then the second would be I'll, we'll just talk about him first. Uh, it's not really worth mentioning a whole lot, but it's the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's, that's always speaking. He lives to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the voice of condemnation. 
It's the voice that is constantly obsessed with your past and always wanting to bring you back to where you were rather than talking about where you're going. Why? Because if he can get you to live in your past, he can bankrupt your future. He can't affect your future, so he's obsessed with your past. This is how you know it's his voice. Anytime that he's bringing up sin that's been forgiven, it's not God because God said, I, the Lord their God, will forgive their sins and remember them no more. That means he doesn't even have the ability because he's bound by his word to bring up sin that he's forgiven in your life. He's never dealing with your past sins and throwing them in your face. He doesn't use them to discipline you. He doesn't need to. He can discipline you with his goodness and with his love and by showing you what he died for so that you see where you've settled for less. He's not bringing up your sin to rub it in your face. Why? He said, I'll remove it as far from me as the east is from the west. That means it's as far away from him as it could ever get this minute, and next minute, somehow, it'll be even farther away. He's never bringing it back up. The enemy will constantly want to bring you back to your past and try to get you to live your life defined by who you were rather than who God says that you are. And this is why, like, we need to make sure that we're not a voice of condemnation in people's lives. Sometimes God will have us speak corrective, convicting things to people. There's a difference in being corrective and convictive and being condemning. He's the, the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't need our help. He does a great job already accusing people. But the voice that we listen to, see, here's the problem, is that if you constantly are listening to the enemy's voice and you're constantly being condemned, you're going to be more likely when you open your mouth and speak to other people to speak about what's been coming in because that's what's filling your heart. You'll always see what's wrong with people because you're so well aware of what's wrong with you. And so when you open your mouth to speak, even with a good intention, a lot of times what comes out of your mouth is the same thing that's been coming in through your ears. And if it's the voice of the enemy, it'll be harsh, it'll be condemning, and it will be unforgiving, lacking grace. Why? Because what we have, we give. The voice I listen to will be the one that I sound like when I speak. Just, just monitor your own words for a little while and ask yourself, who do I sound like? Who told me that? Remember God talking to Adam? Adam says, I, I knew that I was naked. God looks at him and says, who told you you were naked? What's he saying? There's something coming out of your mouth that didn't come from mine. I never told you you were naked. I never told you you should be ashamed. I never told you you should hide. Why are you doing that? You've listened to another voice. And the one they were listening to controlled what came out. He's, he would love to speak into your life, I promise you. He's going to try all the time. And you know the truth of the matter is, is he tries different ways. It says that he comes often as an angel of light. He'll try to come sounding really, really good. This happened to, do you want to, you want to share a little what happened with you and I'll share what happened with me? Yeah, I think you should because it was while the, <laughs> I already talked to her during the worship. Don't look at me like I'm bad for bringing her up here unannounced. I did. I asked her if she was ready to share it because we talked about this. This happened when, when Leah was in the hospital to both of us on different occasions. I told him I wasn't sure if I was going to share it, so that's why he asked. I knew I was going to at some point, but I wasn't planning to today at all, so um, I tend to get some details mixed up every now and then, so just bear with me. But um, it was, I'm not sure if it was the day after Elias' car accident, or two days, or three days, or whatever it was, but I, Roy stayed at the hospital. Um, he slept every night at the hospital with her, and I stayed at home with Jackson, but it was one day after Jackson was already brought to school and I was laying in bed and of course the enemy, I mean, that's a whole nother thing I can talk about, but we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when you are going through something difficult, something that is screaming in your face, 
um, just, yeah, anyways. It was pretty rough what we were going through with Aaliyah and her laying in the hospital bed in a coma and all that. So I had to continually stay before the Lord and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I was laying in bed, and I was just talking to the Lord, and the enemy kept putting pictures of her getting in that car accident just over and over and over. Even though I didn't see it happen, I just had a clear picture of where it happened, how it happened, all that stuff, and he kept tormenting me. It was complete torment. And I had to battle, fight that off, and take every thought captive, I mean, all day, every day. So I'm laying in bed, and I was talking to the Lord, just praying, and I always take time to listen to him and stuff like that. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I know his voice. I've, I've spoke here before a couple times about the importance of spending time with the Father, listening to him, talking to him, getting to know his voice. And, and I walk in that, and I have for a long time. So I'm laying in bed, talking to the Lord, and I hear him speak to me, and or it sounded like him anyways, speak to me that Aaliyah was not going to make it, and that he's doing this, and it's going to bring him all kinds of glory. And it sounded like the Lord's voice, because I know what he sounds like. Like I said, I've walked with him in intimacy with him for a long time. So it sounded like his voice, but I also know the peace that comes when he speaks to me. Even if it's something I don't want to hear, I know that. And so I, I, I laid there for a minute, and I had tears streaming down my face. And I was like, I, I asked him, I said, Lord. This sounds like you because you're saying this is going to bring me glory. It sounds like you in that way, but I know what it's like when you speak to me, and that is not, that's not what I know, and I've walked with him for years. And then I heard him, and he said, that's because that's not me. That's the enemy trying to speak to you, and he's coming as an angel of light. And I got righteously ripped. I was, I'm a feisty little one. I might not, some of you don't know that about me, but I rolled out of bed and I actually, I, I hit the floor first. I remember I hit the floor on my knees and I started worshiping the Lord. And I'm telling you what, when you worship him, like sometimes you just, if you're getting attacked by the enemy, turn it into praise to the Father. Not praising him for something, but you praise him because he's God, he is good, and he's worthy. So I got on the floor, and I was worshiping him. And then I got up, and I was roaming around my house, like, in serious prayer mode, and praying in the Spirit, and marching around. And that's what I did when I was at home. Roy was at the hospital. I'm not going to do that in the ICU. So I spent my nights at home, and I spent the mornings in serious warfare. And he was at the hospital with her. Um, and I didn't go up there till about 11 or 12 noon every day, and then I stayed until it was time to go to bed. But anyways, that's what I was doing. 
And it could have looked weird, like, why isn't her mom staying with her? Well, that's because I knew my assignment, and my assignment was to do battle at home like I'm called to, and I knew it was. I knew the Lord called me to do that. So I was praying and worshiping, and it just made me so angry in a, like, a righteous anger way how important it is for the body of Christ, for God's children. You need to know his voice. You need to spend time with him because I'm telling you, there are so many things that are going to come at you in life. And if you don't know his voice, you're going to attach your faith to something that is not the Lord. And that's what the enemy was trying to get me to do. All he wanted me to do was attach my faith because he's not going to come to me and say, Patty, you just, I want you to sin and do this. I'm over that crap. (laughs) Sorry. Oops. You know what I mean? Like he's, (laughs) I thought I was. You know, so, but, but he knows, he knows he's looking for an opportune time, you know, and, and, and we're going through a serious hard time and that kind of stuff. So he's going to come and try to get us to put our faith in him, believe what he says. And you need to be aware. We all need to be aware and spend time with the Lord and listen to his voice. Is that what you wanted me to share? Is that it? Okay. Oh, oh, I have one more part of it. So I did not tell Roy. I didn't tell anyone about this. I knew I would share at some point, but I didn't tell him. And Dan Moeller came a week, was it a week after her accident? Midweek, and he stayed at our house. Um, And there was one morning I was sitting at my table spending time with the Lord, and he came out in the kitchen, and he sat on a stool. And he looked at me and he said, I just want to tell you, do not in the least bit allow um, the enemy to try to make you feel bad or anything like that for being home because you are home because that's what the Lord has called you to do. He knows what you need to be doing and he knows that you need to be here while Roy's at the hospital and you need to be in serious prayer and, and so I just want to you to know that. Just be at peace with that. And I said, thank you. I am. But And then I didn't tell him anything. And then he said, you know, I went through something where someone I love was in the hospital. And I looked a little bit crazy to some people because I didn't spend a ton of time at the hospital. I actually did a lot away, you know, and, and just prayer and that kind of stuff. And he said, but I want you to be aware that the enemy came to me, and he'll probably try to come to you, and he already did. Um, and he'll try to speak to you like he's the Lord's, the Lord speaking to you. Because he did the exact, and he told me the story, and it was the exact same thing that he spoke to me. And I said, yep, he already did that. <laughs> I just thought it was pretty cool, the Lord, you know confirm that even though I already knew it was him but thank you thank you for sharing that so so me and Patty were taking a walk through the neighborhood one night and uh, this is after Leah was home we were walking and we were talking about just some of the things that happened and and Patty started telling me that and I said that happened to me I said I think it was the second day that I was in the hospital I laid on the bed and I was I was praying and I heard the Lord say She's not going to make it, but 
think of how powerful the gospel that you preach will be when you don't change what you preach based on what you've been through and how many people will see that even losing your daughter couldn't shake your faith in the gospel you preach. And I, it's the same thing. There was no peace attached to it. It sounded like him, and it was something that maybe I could, but it, it didn't bring the peace. And it made me so angry. We were talking about that. It made me so angry thinking about how many times he comes like an angel of light and tries to get us to attach our faith to something that's not his. It's really important what you put your faith in. You realize Hebrews says that they had the same gospel preached to them that we had preached to us, but it didn't benefit them anything because they didn't attach faith to it. Like, the truth is out there, but it's what you attach your faith to that actually makes a difference. It says it in in Hebrews chapter 4. I actually have it somewhere here in my notes uh, because I thought it might be important to talk about. It says, Therefore let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. Was it a different word that they heard? Was it not truth that they heard? No, it says that we had the same word preached to us that they had preached to them, but it didn't profit them anything. The truth being preached to them didn't profit them anything. This is in God's word. He says this. He says, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They never attached faith to it. They never actually lived in faith and trusted what was spoke to them. They heard it, but they didn't change the way that they lived based on what they heard. They didn't actually put their faith in it. And it said it profited them nothing. So imagine if you attach your faith to something that's not actually the Lord and you start putting your faith in something that you think is him, but it's actually the way that seems right to a man, but that leads to death. He'll come that way, I promise you. This isn't to freak you out. This is to make you understand you need to know his word and you need to know his voice. And you need to know what it feels and sounds like when the Lord speaks to you because he says he'll come as an angel of light. He doesn't come with horns and, and, and fangs and ah, listen to me, Aliyah will die. It wasn't like that, you know? It wasn't like this, this smoke filled the room and he stood in front of me with a tail and a pitchfork, you know? He came and tried to sound like the Lord trying to get me and to convince myself and put my faith in that but I would have had to abandon what I knew God spoke to me in order to put my faith in what the enemy was saying. Listen, anything that would take you abandoning truth from the word of God to attach your faith to it is not the Lord. It's an easy way to know that it's the enemy. And so it was easy to reject it. But I I, I was thinking about, man, there's probably times in my life where I thought it was the Lord speaking to me and I actually believed something and put my faith in it and gave it credibility before I actually knew what it was like to hear him speak to the way that I do now. And I probably got led astray many times thinking that I was doing the Lord's work. So we have to know his word and we have to know him and walk with him. Um, So the third voice, oh, we're going to go long. Is that okay? Only one person thinks it's all right. I can tell you at lunch. All right, well, I'll get, I'll get through these, and then I'll, I'll show you in Matthew 16 a, a quick example. Of this. The, the, second, the third voice is the voice of God. It's the voice of the good shepherd, the voice of truth. It's, it's love. It's correction. It's, it's discipline. It's all those things wrapped in one. It's he, he loves you. He chastens you. He speaks to you. He shows you destiny. He shows you future. He's always talking to you about what he has prepared, you know, that you were created in, for good works that he prepared beforehand, that you would walk in them. He has a future for you. And so, so that's the voice of God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Spirit of God inside of us. He speaks through other believers that are filled with the Spirit, and, and He's always wanting to speak to our hearts, always wanting to encourage us, always wanting to correct us, to bring us, to, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And then the fourth voice, the, probably the one that's the most influential, not the most important, God's voice is the most important, but probably the most influential voice is our own voice. 
It's this constant running dialogue that we have going in our head. It's the way we see the world. It's the way we think about the world. And it's the way we respond to things. And, and, and that voice is determined by what we listen to. So if I'm constantly listening to the voice of the enemy who's constantly telling me I'm not good enough, I've fallen too short, I've failed too much, God could never, how would he ever, why would he ever, all that stuff, that's going to be the dialogue that I have going in my head. And I'm going to constantly think about myself and think about the world and think about others and things that happen through a voice of condemnation, a lens of shame, of guilt, of not measuring up, or any of those kind of things. If I'm constantly listening to the voice of the good shepherd, then my thoughts start to sound like his thoughts. Because the minute I start thinking about his voice, I start telling myself, you created me for good works beforehand that I should walk in them. God, I thank you that your mercy is new every day. God, I thank you that you see me as righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that all things have been made new. I thank you, God, that I'm not the man that I once was and that I look more like Jesus today than I did tomorrow, yesterday, and I'll look more like him tomorrow than I did today because you're transforming me from glory to glory into the image of your son. And when my voice echoes the voice of the Father, it actually brings comfort to my heart and it transforms me. That's how I know I'm hearing his voice. So turn to Matthew 16. We'll go through this real quick with Peter, and we'll show you, uh, um, and we'll make it official with the Bible and show you a, a quick example of how this can happen. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? So he says to, him, he says to his disciples, he says, who do, you guys say that I, who, does, who do people say that I am? And so they're giving him the answer that came from the world. This is the opinions they've been hearing, the voices they've been hearing. The truth is, the world had a lot to say about who Jesus was. John chapter 7 talks about this. It says, So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man, and others were saying, On the contrary, he leads the people astray. Listen, Google didn't invent people saying that he's a good man and some people saying he leads people astray. Don't be surprised if when you Google a preacher that you listen to, you find there's a bunch of people that say he's leading people astray and a bunch of people that say he's a good shepherd. They did it about Jesus and he actually had everything right. There's not one man on earth that has every single thing right. It's just not. Like there's, there's no way that you have a complete and comprehensive understanding of everything that God is because we'll be discovering him for eternity. You probably haven't figured it out in 50, 60, 70 years on earth. So no one has a complete full revelation of every single thing and has every single thing exactly right. But Jesus did, and yet even Jesus himself, people said of him, no, he's leading people astray. He's a false prophet. He's a false shepherd. He's a bad pastor. All the different things they say about people today that didn't start with the internet and Bill Johnson. Trust me. They were doing it to Jesus, and he had everything right. I promise you, people will do it to a man who doesn't have everything right. That's why you need to know the word, because even the most well-intentioned people that have a lot right may miss something, and if you don't know the word of God, you could actually get caught up into something or have a wrong belief about something. Take everything and hold it and test it against the word. Insist that it lines up with scripture. And so, another place in John, it says, some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, Jesus talking, they said, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? This is a perfect example of people understanding a part of the word and letting what they know about the word keep them from what God's trying to reveal to them. This is why it's so important that you don't let your theology be built on one little section of the word that you pull out and take out of context. Because was it true that Jesus was going to come from Bethlehem? Yes. So when they said this, what they said was true. The Bible did say that Jesus would come from Bethlehem. The problem is, is that they thought he was from Galilee because that's where his parents came from and that's where he lived. The truth is, there was one thing that they were missing. They were right. 
The scripture did say he was supposed to come from Bethlehem, where David was from. They had that 100% right. They knew the scripture. They were missing one important part of the equation, which was Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem because he was called there because his father was actually from the descendants of David. And so if we're not careful, we'll take one little scripture that we know and we'll let that exclude something that God's trying to show us. When They did it to Jesus. He's standing in front of their face. And they're holding on to one prophecy that they know. And it was true what they said. The problem is, is that there was a greater truth that they didn't know. And if they would have known that, they would have understand that that prophecy wasn't to say that he's not the Christ. That prophecy actually proved that he was the Christ. Be really careful when you build your theology about one little part of the Bible that you have an understanding of and think that that understanding makes it where you exclude understanding anything else. Make sure you always stay open to the fact there may be more truth that you don't understand. And that that one verse may mean something, but that if you understood the whole truth, it would actually reinforce what you believe, not contradict it. This is a good example of that. So the world was saying these things. So some said he was a prophet. Some said he's a Christ. Some said he's false. Some said he can't be, all this stuff. And I love that when the disciples answered Jesus, they show that they didn't allow everything that was said about him to enter into their thought process when they were thinking about who he was. Because they don't say, some say you're a false teacher leading people astray. They don't say some people say you're not the Christ and you can't be the Christ. Why? Because I believe there was a time when they were trying to figure out who Jesus was. Remember, he came along and said, follow me, I'll make you the fishers of men. They don't know who he is. Now, they've heard demons call him the son of God. They've heard him call himself the son of man. But up to this point, they really don't know exactly who he is. And they've been thinking about this. They've been trying to figure out who he is exactly. And they have some ideas, but some, even some of their ideas are off. They think he's here to establish an earthly kingdom, and he's not. But, but you can tell that Peter thought about what people said. But I love that what came out of their mouth wasn't the things about him, not, about him being a false teacher leading people astray. That just goes to show you, you don't have to take everything that's said and make it part of what you think. You can actually take that thought captive and take it aside and not allow it to enter your thought process so that it never comes from your mouth. So only the good things that were said about him were the things that they considered. And then Peter looks at, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and says, you're the Christ, the son of the most high God. And Jesus gets excited. He looks at him and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that your name is Peter. And on this rock, what rock? The rock of revelation coming from the mouth of the father, not revealed by flesh and blood. I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And Peter's thinking, hmm, that's right. I'm the rock. I hear straight from God that Jesus just told him this. Think about it. If Jesus was in the flesh and he looked at you and said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father who's in heaven and I say your name is this and I'm going to build my church on this. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. You'd be stoked too and you'd probably stick your chest out a little bit. And there's Peter thinking, that's right, boys, I'm Peter. You know? And then (laughs) this happens. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter takes him aside. Peter. Not Simon anymore, no? Now it's Peter. Hey, we need to talk. Jesus is speaking. He says, listen, I have to go here. They're going to kill me. Jesus is telling them this. All of a sudden, Peter pulls him aside. The rock. And he says to him, he begins to rebuke him. 
Oh, how the mighty have fallen when you go from being blessed because you heard from the mouth of the Father to rebuking when the mouth of the Father is speaking again. Because Jesus said, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who's in heaven. Meaning what? The Father was still speaking, but somehow Peter wasn't hearing. Just because you heard God in one minute doesn't mean the next voice you hear is him. Be careful that you don't get so caught up when you, when you get something right that you assume you could never get something wrong. Make sure that what you hear is actually the Father speaking because there's no coast in the kingdom. There's no coast. You need to be just as sure that the next thing you hear is him as you were the last thing that you heard that really was him. It says, Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. Just think about that sentence. God forbid it, Lord. You're the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Lord, meaning you're the Master. I've given my life to follow you. God, the one who's speaking, forbid it, Lord. But here's what happens. Sometimes we start thinking selfishly, and we hear a voice that lines up with our selfish desires. And we attach credibility to it because it actually lines up with something inside of us. And I know that's what happened here because of what Jesus says. He turned and said to, him, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Who's he talking to? He's not talk, calling Peter Satan. He's not like, your name was Simon. Now it's Peter. Now it's Satan. <laughs> no, he's revealing to everybody listening and to Peter the voice that he was listening to and whose voice he was echoing. He's telling Peter, one minute ago, you opened your heart up and heard from the Lord and you gave your mouth to speak his truth. The next minute you opened your heart up to hear the enemy and you opened your mouth to speak his lie. Just like that. Then he says this, you're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Here's what I think happened in that moment. Peter hears Jesus. Remember, they all wanted to sit at his right hand. They all wanted to have importance. I'll, I'll close up with this so we can get out of here at a fairly decent hour, but... They all wanted to have a place of importance. They all wanted to have a place of significance. They all wanted to sit at his right hand. Remember, two of them even went to their mom. They had their mom ask Jesus. Like, you know it's bad when you go to your mom and like, all right, mom, you go ask him. Certainly he'll say yes to you. Jackson does that to me sometimes. He is persistent when he wants something. Oh, yeah, she asked for something. We say no. She's like, okay. Jackson, we say no, and he just sees that as not yet. You got to ask me a different way or keep asking, maybe I'll say yes. I think that's what he hears, because I say no, and I think he hears, keep asking, maybe I'll say yes. And he'll go to Patty, and be like, mom, tell dad. Or he'll come to me, dad, tell mom. And he pleads his case, and he'll probably be a good lawyer someday or something, because he makes a very convincing case of why he needs the newest Fortnite skin. Like, doesn't want it, he needs it. And this is what the disciples did with Jesus. They told their mom, like, mom, go tell him that we should sit at his right and left hand. So she goes to him and says, I have a request to make. So these guys, you know, they wanted position. They wanted to be important. They wanted to have significance. And all of a sudden, Peter hears Jesus say he's going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And I guarantee you, the enemy came to him and said, what happens to you, Peter, when they kill Jesus? You lose all of your place of importance. What if the one who replaces him doesn't even know you? What if you just go back to being a fisherman? Guaranteed, the enemy came to him and started playing on a selfish desire he had. 
Start telling them, listen, if they kill Jesus, what's going to happen to you? You lose all your authority. You lose all. Who cares that you've spent three and a half years with him and that he said all those amazing things about you? If he's dead, he can't do anything to help you. You're never going to sit on a throne and judge people and be a part of the kingdom that's being established. If he dies, you can't let him die. And Peter says, I can't let him die. I know that because the next thing that came out of Jesus' mouth after he said that, Then he said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, listen, if life's about you and you haven't denied yourself, it's going to be really hard because you're going to open yourself up to hearing any voice that speaks to that selfish part of you that you haven't yielded to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys. He realizes what happened here in this moment. He sees the enemy play on on Peter's selfishness. He sees that Peter has selfish ambition. It's not wrong to be ambitious. It's wrong to have ambitions that aren't surrendered to God and yielded to him. He says, you guys, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to stop making life about you, and you you can't be the most important part of any equation. In other words, when you hear me say I'm going to die, don't think about how that's going to affect you. You should be thinking about what God's doing through my death. That's why I said your mind is set on the things of man, not on God. What's he saying? You're not looking at this in the story of God's redemption. You're thinking about what this is going to do for you. And you're ready to stop the plan of God because you think it stops the plan he has for your life. Because the enemy comes along. It had to be the enemy speaking to him because Jesus told Satan to be quiet. It had to be about selfishness because the next thing Jesus talked about was thinking for himself and not God. Had to be a part of his life. He hadn't yielded to the Lord yet. Because the next thing he said is, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. If you're living your life selfishly, I believe that's the number one way that you open up your life to hear the voice of the enemy and give it a landing strip for him to speak. Because any place that's not yielded to the Lord is open to the enemy. Any place in your life that's not yielded to the Lord, you're open up to being deceived. Because where there is no lack There's no vacuum. If the voice of God isn't the voice you're hearing, it's the voice of the enemy. Because God will speak into every situation of your life. And where you're not listening to him speak, you open yourself up to hear another. Listen, he'll come and talk to you anytime that he can. He certainly doesn't need you to open a door for him to come in by having a part of your life and heart that's unyielded to the Lord. That's why Jesus was convinced. He said, Earlier in the chapter, he said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. Later, he was talking about the stranger. He said, the voice of a stranger, they just won't follow. Why? Because I know his voice. I can't follow that voice. And that doesn't mean follow him in a way of like, I'm going to surrender my life all the time. You know, like I'm not going to become a Satanist and, and surrender my life to him and start sacrificing to the devil or anything like that. I think a lot of times what he means when he talks about following the enemy's voice is I allow what he's saying to control what I think and my mind starts following the path that he's laying in front of me. And I start going down a road that I was never meant to go down and think because I'm thinking about things I was never meant to think about because I listened to a voice I was never meant to listen to. And suddenly I end up far away from where God wants me. It's, it's, sometimes it's just gradual. It's these little things that chip away. And all of a sudden I find myself thinking so far from the way that God has spoke. And if I trace it back, at some point I open myself up to hearing a different voice and following the voice of a stranger into a strange place 
You know, the quickest thing that should happen when that happens is we repent, which means we see it for what it is. We feel the sorrow that comes from understanding that I've surrendered my life and given part of my life to someone who wasn't the Lord, that I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God, I've missed the mark, I've done something willfully that he died for me to be free from. And that, that, that pain that that causes and that, that hurt pushes me in to wanting to run to him, not run from him. And I run to him and I just throw myself before him and I confess and I repent and I ask his forgiveness, not because he needs me to do that, but because it's for my sake. Me seeing my sin is for my sake. He's always ready to forgive. Always. He said Jesus died once for the sin of the world. It says that in your Bible. It's me. He's after my heart. I repent. And then I find his voice. I find his truth. I run hard after that. You know the great thing about it is, the whole time you were walking away from him in any area of your life, you were fighting the wind of heaven. You were going against the current of heaven. You were fighting the wind of heaven. You didn't get as far as you think you got in the time that you went. And the minute you return and you actually begin running after him, you have the wind of heaven pulling you along and blowing at your back. And he can redo, he can undo in an instant what took you years to get wrong. I promise you, you were fighting heaven the whole time to get to the wrong place. The minute you set your heart to return to him. Think about it, the prodigal son. It says the minute his father saw that in his heart he said, I was going to return to the Lord. It says he ran to him and overwhelmed him. The son probably thought it's going to be a long walk back to the house. He doesn't understand. God's not interested in sitting on the porch and seeing how long it takes me to get back. God just wants to see that my heart has turned and he'll come and overwhelm me and undo in a day what I did in years. I promise. You've got to hear his voice. You have to know it. So, Father, I just thank you for that. I thank you that we can know you. God, that we have your word, a written record of who you are and what you're like and what you've spoke to us, God. And we have your spirit living inside of us, leading us and guiding us into all truth like Jesus promised. That we have people around us who are filled with the spirit of God, who love us and watch out for us and can hear you speak, God, and can speak to us and share your heart with us, God. I just thank you, Father, that you would make us as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, God. I thank you that your word says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. You realize that real quick, out of prayer mode, back into teaching mode just for a second. The Bible doesn't say don't be unaware. The Bible says we are not unaware of his schemes. Meaning what? If I'm walking with an awareness of Jesus, I'll see everything with an awareness of what's not him. It's not about trying to find out what the devil's doing. It's about locking my eyes on Jesus and realizing if I see what he's doing, anything that's not him isn't him. Simple. So, Father, thank you for that. I pray that we would continue to grow in our knowledge and our desire of your word, Father, that we would want to know you more today than we did yesterday, God, as you pull us along as the wind of heaven blows at our backs as we pursue more and more of you. And we try to overtake that which has overtaken us, to apprehend that which has apprehended us. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.